Good afternoon. Um, I'm Mariam Zaidin. Welcome to a Year Active hybrid conference supported by Intelera Consulting. Today, we're going to be discussing the AI Act, what cost for SMEs. A big welcome to our in-person audience. Thanks for being with us and also to everyone who is joining online. And as always, if you want to get involved, especially given the topic of today, we're talking about AI, do send in your questions into our Slido app and I will be picking out your questions for later on in the program. So do get involved. So AI, we all know it could potentially be a massive game changer that powers our economies by boosting digitalization and improving people's lives. The opportunities are infinite from transforming healthcare, education, public services, shopping experiences, our militaries, or even how we approach getting to net zero. Now, the US and China are the AI superpowers. The US has, of course, attracted the most AI talent, China leads the race when it comes to data and cloud computing, and governments are all over the world scrambling now to try to compete and catch up. Now, not wanting to get left behind, of course, the EU, the world's second largest economy, wants to create its own high-tech AI hub to rival others and will invest billions to do that. But AI, of course, has to be trustworthy. It has to be ethical. It has to be fair and moral. It cannot conduct mass surveillance. It, of course, needs regulation, something that we know the EI um, that the EU is very, very good at. And I can give a cultural reference point to everyone, which is Skynet. I think if you know a particular movie I'm talking about, um, you know exactly what I mean. AI in the wrong hands can be very bad and very detrimental. And of course, as I said, we know that the, that the EU is very good at regulating big tech and holding them to account. But how the EU is planning to regulate AI and how much it is going to cost the smaller guys in the value chain, um, the SMEs, is what we're going to be sort of laser focused on today. Now, the incoming Artificial Intelligence Act, currently going through the legislative process, provides a strict horizontal regulatory framework for AI applications, investment and innovation whilst aligning AI to EU values and fundamental rights. It seeks to, of course, protect the user from high-risk AI, so things that impinge on our freedoms, safety, or conduct mass surveillance, all things that we don't want to happen, um, with significant financial penalties, I believe, for non-compliance. With that level um, of burden of adoption in mind, the EU Commission um, have set up European digital innovation hubs to help ease the transition to AI. And these hubs will, of course, provide expertise um, and a network for companies to learn how to fully automate and reduce their option costs. But is this ecosystem that the EU is building, developing, creating, the one that is right for everyone in the value chain, especially for those cost-conscious SMEs, or does it exclude them? Well, let's ask the expert. Okay, so time now to introduce you to our panel. We have Killian Gross, who's the head of Unit Artificial Intelligence Policy Development and Coordination at DG Connect at the European Commission. Welcome. We also have our MEP, uh, multi-socialist Josiane Kutaya, who's also a member of Parliament's Industry Committee. Welcome. Uh, we have Sebastiano Toffoletti, who's Secretary General at the European Digital SME Alliance. Welcome. Um, we have joining us online, um, our one um, panellist who is joining online, Dr. Miriam Byton, who's a research fellow at the Centre on Regulation in Europe and Assistant Professor of Law and Economics at the University of St. Galen, Switzerland. And last but never least, we have Massimo Pellegrino, who is the partner at Italo Consulting. Okay, so welcome to all of you. I think we have a fantastic panel. Um, so time now for all of you to introduce yourself. So, Mr. Gross. 
ask you to go first. Thanks a lot for uh, being here with you today uh, to discuss this important topic. Indeed, um, my team and myself, we have prepared the AI Act, uh, which is the first worldwide comprehensive legal uh, framework for AI, uh, which has the ambitious objective of making AI trustworthy. Of course, we didn't do this from scratch because we had already a two-year high-level expert group working together, basically defining and determining um, ethical principles, giving us recommendations on key requirements which uh, an AI needs to fulfill. Uh, and on this basis, we have then published a white paper. We had uh, a, a rather overwhelming um, public reaction of more than 1,215 um, replies from all kinds of groups. And then we have based on this, we have based the AI proposal. The AI proposal, that's one thing to remind from the beginning, didn't come alone. We as well uh, published it together with the revision of our coordinated plan because we have these both ob two objectives, the twofold objectives. We want to support AI because we see that it can bring a lot of benefit. We could see this in the COVID crisis, for instance, where we um, developed CT scans on the basis of AI to help to detect COVID. And at the same time, we see risks, and therefore we need a framework for trustworthy AI. And that's, I think, what we will discuss today. And in this framework, we had really these two objectives. We wanted to balance creating trust on the one hand side, but at the same time as well not to, um, to um, hinder and prevent innovation. And this is, of course, particularly sensitive for SMEs and for startups and for very innovative smaller companies. And therefore, this was one of the focus areas on the, at which we looked at. It's definitely always a fine balance. Um, next over to our MEP. Thanks for today's timely discussion and indeed it's uh, more timely at the moment because we know that our SMEs already face inherent handicaps and challenges and also with the shocks in the economy that we had in the past months and years for the pandemic, now the energy um, situation and the effects of the war. Along with the, the regulatory aspect, we need to assist our SMEs even more. And in this context, I'm here on today's panel because I was the rapporteur for the opinion of the Transport and Tourism Committee when it comes to the AI Act and from that field I tried to push forward also more assistance and recognition towards our SMEs. There were a lot of provisions which uh, referred to in the Commission's proposal, limitedly to small-scale providers, where I introduced and pushed forward for several amendments to make sure that this more lenient um, approach, which takes into account the size of the market actors in the AI economy, is also afforded to SMEs. And that was an important po point I was pushing for forward. In this regard, I really believe, yes, in this importance to balance because we need rules and regulations in a way, however, that won't stifle innovation. So that's the critical and sensitive balance that we really need to strike here. It's no easy task, but we as a European Union should be at the forefront to make sure that we get there whilst enabling also the adequate assistance and um, attention towards the vulnerable and small actors in, in the market. In this regard, it's very important to also address and keep in mind in the AI field, the traditional challenges that SMEs face, that's access to financing and skills amongst others. And it's really, really important to look not only at the AI Act in isolation, however, the other 
instruments that there are within our Euro European Union to also facilitate in this regard. And here I refer, for example, to the Pact for Skills, which is important, but then also the Digital Decade Program, where I was a shadow rapporteur for the socialists, where we need to also to make sure that our SMEs achieve 2030 digital targets in this regard. The European Innovation Hubs, which were mentioned, are also an important tool, but also, for example, the European Enterprise Network. And the SME strategy, which I worked upon some months ago, which seeks to make sure that our SMEs have the right environment to be at the forefront and to also reach their full potential when it comes to green and digital transitions. And therefore, in this regard, I believe that we have a whole toolbox which we really need to take together, but we also need to make sure that we collaborate together, regulators, industry legislators, researchers, and uh, small and large market actors all together because it's only with uh, this collaboration and this adequate consultation that we really would become leaders within our European Union. A good scene set up there, Sebastian. Well, uh, indeed, very good to, to come after this, uh, the, these introductions. Uh, we are actually those who represent the SMEs that are actually affected by this new legislation. I come from for the European Digital SME Alliance, which is an organization based in Brussels that represents around 45,000 SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises in the digital sector across Europe in around 30 countries, so even beyond the borders of, of the EU. Um, with these companies, uh, we are trying to make their voice heard in the Brussels discussions. In particular, in AI, uh, <coughs> a couple of years ago, uh, in light also of the proposal coming from the Commission, we created a group which was called uh, Focus Group AI, where we selected 150 top companies, top SMEs in the field of AI, uh, adopters and innovators in, in AI. And with this group of companies, uh, we have been trying to see um, what are the effects of uh, new policy, new legislation, uh, formulate proposals. So uh, we have several times invited the Commission and have them with us to present the proposal for the AI Act. Uh, we have discussed it with members of the Parliament in the group. Uh, we have uh, several people from academia talking to the group to understand what might be the consequences to collect feedback from, from this type of companies. Um, so we have basically <coughs> the purpose is to make these companies heard in these discussions to engage the policymakers with those who are never heard, the SMEs, because you know the lobbying, uh, the lobbying arena in Brussels, as we all know, is very much uh, in the hands of, of big tech and larger co corporations. So we have been one of the very few voices that have been trying to speak, speak for SMEs and to SMEs. Uh, now, the issue at stake today is the cost of compliance with, this, with the AI Act. Indeed, uh, we have always heard from our companies and argued that uh, the impact assessment that was done by the Commission ex-ante uh, was largely underestimating the potential compliance cost. Uh, so now I'm very happy that we have a paper study from Interlera, a consultancy that has, uh, that will be probably presented later, uh, that has 
come up with uh, a different uh, way to assess those costs. And what we are saying is that those costs of compliance for an SMEs are certainly going to be higher than uh, 100,000 euros. Uh, of course, there are going to be potential gains for those who are in this market for high-risk AI applications, but the issue of cost has to be taken into account because especially for SMEs, we want to give them the chance to compete in this market and not let this market only to the big tech. Okay, definitely I think, and we can come back to that about the costs um, with Mr. Gross from the, the, the European Commission. Okay, let's now go to our remote panellist, Dr. Miriam, please introduce yourself. What really stands out to me in the discussion so far is that there is disagreement about two big issues, right? So first, there is disagreement about the scope of this act, about the need for regulation. So to what extent it is justified to intervene right now at this point in time on such a broad scale? And then there is disagreement on how to minimize the costs for businesses and particularly SMEs when we recognize these risks. So just to unpack these these issues, right? First, it is clear that you know, AI has great potential and also uh, may harm society as a whole or in particular individuals when it is used. Right? So it is useful to introduce a risk-based type of regulation, but there seems to be a lot of disagreement on how broad this really needs to be. A lot of disagreement on what should be the scope of, you know, the definition of AI, the scope of this, this measure, what should be the definition of high risk, what needs to be included and what does not need to be included. So there is really a lot of controversy around striking the right balance here. A lot more, I would say, than, for example, with the Digital Markets Act, where there was a lot more clarity on, you know, we have a problem with the biggest big tech platforms, so we need to intervene, we need to introduce new obligations. And here we have a wide variety of technologies employed in, in, in a number of, of or, well, basically any uh, sector. And so the, the possible impact is, is much bigger, but that also means that you know, trying to actually justify that we need all of these obligations is a lot harder. And once we've done that, then we come to this question of, if we agree that these are really the high risk technologies, then how can we, while you know, achieving these goals, minimize the costs for SMEs. So uh, what are the costs of conformity assessments and transparency obligations and how can we minimize those? But I think we're actually, even though we're so far along in the process of, of legislating, there is still kind of a lot of debate on you know, this first question as well of how do we justify these obligations and how do we balance the benefits and the costs of regulation here? Okay, thank you, Dr. Miriam. And then finally to Massimo to introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, being conscious that uh, the, uh, the possible impact on SMEs uh, can be particularly significant, uh, we published uh, today a report uh, that uh, proposes an alternative methodology to calculate uh, the uh, compliance cost. So basically, uh, what we did is the following. Uh, uh, we elaborated uh, four uh, distinct uh, scenarios. Uh, the first one being the, uh, the one proposed by the impact assessment from the, uh, the European Commission. Uh, and then we revised the way to calculate the cost 
uh, in, uh, in the following way. Uh, so basically, um, the, 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 the formula that has been used by the impact assessment uh, uh, is based on uh, uh, three parameters. The first one is the market size of artificial intelligence. The second one is the cost of an AI unit. And the third one is the compliance cost. I'm not referring now to the, the uh, um, conformity cost, that is a separate thing that we didn't touch for, uh, for this study. <clears throat> Basically, what we said is the following. It is uh, uh, misleading uh, to assume the total market size as the uh, total investment uh, in artificial intelligence. Because uh, in this formula, basically, what we take is the revenue from uh, a, a company, uh, and then we divide this number, that is the top line, the, the revenue number, by the cost of, an AI, of the AI unit. We didn't uh, uh, touch the cost of the AI unit as well, because we didn't want to enter into this uh, uh, debate. But the, the, the number, basically, the revenue number, is misleading. So in the first scenario, we took the R&D cost instead of the revenue number, the market size. And basically, we kept the rest of the methodology as it was. So the cost of the AI unit, uh, the cost of compliance uh, is exactly the same. And uh, by doing that, uh, we uh, moved from 17.6%, that is the original number in the impact assessment, uh, to roughly 2.6, right? So uh, this is a huge difference. Uh, but conceptually, we, we said, uh, you know, the investment uh, is the R&D cost. And by the way, it is difficult to, uh, to understand what is really AI from other things that are not touching AI applications. So, but uh, it is, a, it is a, a, a point of reference uh, uh, that can be used uh, uh, instead of the, the revenue number. In the third scenario, uh, we did a completely different thing. We interviewed a panel of uh, SMEs uh, and uh, in, in, the, uh, in the study, we are referring to producers only, providers only, so company that develop uh, AI applications. We are not talking about users, right? A company that buys AI applications because this, this thing is, is completely different. So we interviewed a number of developers or providers uh, as uh, they are called in the uh, AI Act. <coughs> And uh, we uh, discussed with them an alternative methodology. So basically, we tried to understand which are the activities, the actual activities they need to perform to be compliant with the seven requirements that are in the, in the AI Act. And then we attached a cost to those activities that is different from the way that has been calculated in the impact cost. So we calculated the, uh, the subscription cost for the platforms that uh, presumably they need to buy. Uh, for instance, uh, data governance or AI governance, the quality management uh, uh, pla platform, and so on. And then we calculated the extra work they need to do to be compliant as a 
percentage of the R&D cost. The reason why we did that is that if you take for this example, so the, 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 the ideal SME that we took into consideration is SME with approximately 23 million euros revenue and 15% R&D cost. For this company, following the original calculation, the compliant cost would be 4 million euros, 17.6%, <coughs> which uh, uh, is equal to approximately 77.0 FTEs. This means that they would need to hire 70 people to comply with the, le the legislation, with the regulation. And uh, with our calculation, we go down significantly in both the cost, the percentage, and the FTEs, uh, um, reaching uh, the most convenient scenario where we, uh, uh, we indicate that the uh, European Digital Innovation Hub, the testing and experimentation facilities can be involved to outsource at least partially some of the activities getting to 1% of the total revenue as compliant cost. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, FTEs, this would represent uh, approximately 2.5 people, which is a much more affordable scenario, even for SMEs. So we, for, a, for, a, for, for a company that, uh, the kind of company for the archetype that uh, we, uh, we have chosen, this would mean 20, 230k euros to comply with the regulation, uh, with the 23 million euros revenue, which is a you know a pretty significant software house. So it, it would be much more affordable, of course. But we can discuss about that later on. There are other things that we believe can be done to uh, further um, um, uh, lower the impact cost for uh, for SMEs. Okay, well, listen, that, 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 you, you've set out your uh, sort of methodology then. So let's get the input then um, from Mr. Gross. What do you make of, of what Massimo has just set out there then? Well, I, I first I listened with a lot of interest and we are very much looking forward to analyzing then, of course, the study because I have not seen the study and we have not um, analyzed. I think it would be premature for me now sure. to say on the stage, just after a few sentences, uh, what we, um, where we can agree or where maybe have different views. Um, and it's certainly a very complex topic, the costs. Huh? This is clear uh, and, and not an easy one. Just to explain what we did, I mean, the AI Act was preceded by an uh, exen ex uh, extensive impact assessment. And we passed, of course, by the regulatory scrutiny board. And in that impact assessment, we used the classical method which the Commission uses in impact assessments. You may, you may criticize. Uh, I mean, I know that I'm a lawyer, and I know that certain, we always say two lawyers, three opinions. But I learned in the meantime, with economists, it's not much better. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes even worse. Uh, but what we do is we have the standard cost model. So we try to analyze what kind of how many uh, costs would it take in order to, uh, to comply with the uh, requirements we set out in the in AI Act, and then we put this into perspective of the average development cost of an AI system, which we put at 170,000, and then we arrive at 4 to 5%. And that we put into a relation to the overall investment in AI per year. 
And uh, we take into account that we believe that it will, be, it will only cover basically uh, 10 to 15 percent of the systems will be high risk. And then we, we have the share of the investment cost, which will then be in total in the macro perspective, be allocated to AI. Uh, this is, of course, these are all estimates. And I, we understand, of course, that uh, you can have very elaborated discussions whether this is how accurate this is. This is, um, this is uh, a, a very fair point, and we're happy to, to do this. But we think, of course, we need as well, beside this, uh, before we get completely lost in, in figures, we need, of course, as well to see a bit the qualitative part of, of the medal. And there are perhaps just two or three thoughts for, for your reflection. One is, we are speaking here about high-risk systems. So 85% of the AI should be out. So there should be no cost. If you do an AI, what are we talking about if we speak high-risk AI systems? We're talking about an AI system, for instance, which you use for biometric recognition to take something very controversial, which is used, for instance, or we're talking about an AI system which is used in the law enforcement context or in the recruitment context. Every responsible user would require that these systems are up to the highest quality standards. And we have all seen what happens in the Netherlands when a uh, software system was used, not by an SME, not at all, but by the public. I don't want to, don't mix me up uh, with this. But what happens uh, is this gets wrong in these sensitive areas. So we believe there is, of course, a strong selling point. A responsible first, a responsible provider for such a system, the same holds true, by, by the way, for technical devices like drones, would would have to comply out of his own interest with highest standards. So we cannot really say there is zero cost normally and now there is a lot of additional cost. What we do is basically we standardize or harmonize what should be done because we cannot believe that these systems would go to the market without any control. Uh, and it would bring, in our view, as well as added value to SMEs because they would be able to compete with big companies because big companies normally have the benefit that they have decades of experience with regulatory management. Yes. I can see that Sebastian sort of rolled his eyes there. I'm really sorry that he sorry. did roll his eyes. But, you know, give it, can SMEs compete then? You know, do they have this, this, this level of capital available to them? I mean, just to pluck that 170,000 number out. I mean, that's a massive chunk for an SME. I mean, obviously, this is technology. Technology is expensive, but... Well, there are many question marks uh, we hear from our community. Uh, the issue is really... Will we achieve what, uh, what Killian is trying to say, so that we will give the chance to SMEs to compete against the big tech, or we will, will we end up in a situation where we have the most secure, the most compliant, at least, systems, but they're only provided by big tech? Uh, where are we going to end up? Where are we going to be in five or ten, year, ten, ten years' time? And this is really the question. The issue of cost is one, but there are many other issues here. And I think... For us, what is important is whatever choice we make in terms of legislation, we should not just do the mistake, allow me, to just drop it there and see what happens. And then in 10 years' time, say, ah, shit, it's too late. It's <laughs> a mistake. We don't have any SME any longer producing AI, any startup, because we have lost the market. So what we call for is really whatever choice we make at the legislative side, Let's not drop it there. Let's really build in the legislation a, a strong responsibility for the commission, for the advisory board, for whoever, to make sure we are going to check, uh, we are going to see what is the evolution of the technology and what are the effects of this legislation in the market. We are talking about something um, extremely complex. I mean, this is a technology which is evolving by itself. 
We are regulating a technology which we don't know. Don't forget, we have used, the Commission has proposed to use the so-called NLF, NLF, New Legislative Framework Approach, which is the approach of ex-ante uh, conformity. Essentially, you conform with the standard, therefore you can see mark your product and you can go to the market. This is a system which we know very well and which works for products which are very established with a very uh, st stable technology behind, okay? It's not that a, a, product, if a product has to evolve every year. Here we're talking about the technology which evolves every second. Every time there's a new data, it evolves. So how are we gonna, how is that legal approach uh, gonna do with this type of technology? Honestly, we don't know, none of us knows. So I really think we have to, and I, and I, and I hope mm -hmm. the parliament will agree with this, uh, to amend this legislation to make sure we will have an oversight and we will continue to look at what happens. Okay, so over to our MEP then, obviously. Uh, quickly, I won't go into the numbers and methodology. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that up to you. Um, however, some pointers I, I took from, as inspiration from what all of you have said. Yes, it's, it's true that there are a lot of risks involved and uh, we need to regulate those. But this is not only a question of rights, of fundamental rights, especially when it comes to the high-risk AI, which I really agree with to have these different approaches, but also it's a question of trust in the market. So if customers don't have their, uh, the, 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 the peace of mind that there'll be ethical and safe AI in place, then it may be that there are um, AI products developed, but there's not enough uptake from the customers. And here we're speaking at, about the AI Act, but we still need to work upon and discuss the aspect of liability, which will be coming. And on which I, I worked, uh, again, as an opinion for, for the TRAN committee on the ENI uh, report's opinion of TRAN. And in this regard, it's very much important. And uh, we have to, to really keep this in mind. Other points uh, I, got, uh, I got inspired of with is uh, that it's, it's important to calculate these costs. And yes, it's fine to have um, different studies that challenge what's already there. So it's, it's important to keep this discussion going because policy making and law making is never well, static. It is a different perspective. It's yeah. different perspective. And it's also, apart from the fact that I agree, I'm also a lawyer by profession. So there are different interpretations <laughs> to the law. And as Miriam said, it's the, the balance to achieve as to how much to define, even when it comes to definitions of AI and high risk, to what extent shall we define in the law? To what extent shall we define? Because sometimes then we also get um, criticism that if we define too much and if we legalize too much, we'll kill innovation. Yeah. So this is a, a, an, ongo an ongoing balance that we need to strike. But one last point, yes, I do agree that the monitoring needs to be there on a continuous um, um, basis, even when it comes to technologies or products in the market that have long been there. We need to regulate every now and then because there may be developments which we're not seeing at the moment. But especially when it comes to these new technologies which are still highly evolving, yes, we need to monitor, but that does not mean that we don't legislate. So I really believe that we should legislate. We should afford um, as much as possible and consult to make sure that the small 
players are helped and assisted so as we achieve really this level playing field which also uh, the commission has the same aim in, in, in mind in reality but at the same time we continue monitoring continuously so putting legislation in place won't mean it will be static or be there forever without being changed so that's more work for us but that's our duty and job so don't worry i'm sure that as uh, the european institutions it's a question also of legislating being at the forefront but also being pragmatic and listening to the industry to the stakeholders to make sure that where there are amendments to be done they're done let's bring in dr miriam um do you think that the balance is 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 the right balance being struck then with the legislation well i think that that's the tricky part as you as we see now from the different studies and the different estimates of costs i think that is very difficult to say up front so in that sense you know what sebastiano is saying that we need to really keep a close eye on it as we move further i think that's a very useful thing to do because a lot of this a lot of these technologies aren't even really on the market yet. Some of the examples in the AI Act are rather products that we may see in a couple of years from now. And so that is the difficulty also, of course, for the Commission and the Parliament. You know, they're either too early or they're too late. It's, um, um, but here we're rather early, right, in trying to legislate a very broad category of technologies that we don't know exactly yet what will, will be the application. Um, so, you know, just to comment also on what was said, you know, we have the actual costs and we need to try and keep these costs low. But then the question is always like, what is the alternative, right? So as Mr. Gross was saying, we're really dealing with a narrow set of technologies and sectors where we really agree that the risk is high. So what is the alternative? What, you know, if we say we're not going to do a sort of market conformity test or you know, certification before having these products enter the market, then how are we going to secure safety and trust in these products? Uh, I think that is a really difficult uh, question to answer. So, and that comes back to this balancing of risk and, and costs, right? That, um, um, that we need to really ask ourselves, if we're not going to do it this way, then how, how would we do it? And related to that, and maybe Sebastiano, or also um, uh, one of the others knows more about this. So how, uh, you know, how many SMEs or what, what fraction of SMEs is active in these very sensitive sectors or um, and, and where are they also the providers versus the users of this AI technology, right? So because if they're the users, then the costs of compliance are, are still a little bit different. Now, of course, you know, the response to that is going to be, well, we want, of course, more SMEs to be active in here and not to rely on the tools of big tech. Um, but I think all of this really depends on on uh, you know, your question of how uh, is the balance in the AI Act, we will sort of have to see in the coming years, I think, how the balance will turn out. We will have to keep a close eye on whether this regulation is still suitable or whether we need to adapt to, you know, to developments in the technology and in the market. So let's get that question answered then from our friend from the European Commission then. Is this regulation, is, is, is this... To, to protect what, what potentially could be or what we have in place now. What was the kind of purpose behind this, is this, this regulation and the AI Act? What were you trying to protect against? Was it more to protect against the bigger threat, which is, of course, big tech? No, the um, focus, I can give you a clear answer. The focus of this regulation was <coughs> to protect against 
risks which we have identified. So where we, we, we are persuaded that there are risks. And that's why we, we have this limited number of use cases. And we try to be, and this was as well an, an idea as to find this balance, we try to be very concrete. Because the alternative for us would have been to say, we define how to assess risk. And then we put into the regulation an obligation for each provider to assess whether what he wants to do is risky or she, risky or not. But that would have brought a lot of uncertainty. And the clear message we got from business in the public consultation was, Whatever, of course, regulation is not always loved by business, it's clear. But whatever you do, do it clearly. So we try to be clear. We try to put in what we think are use cases, and then we try to develop as well this dynamic element that we can adapt this over time with dedicated acts. And this is a bit an idea how we can cope with this technological challenge, because as some of you already mentioned, it's a very fast-moving technology. And it's very difficult for us to come up with a regulation which is on time and on, on, on pace with this challenge. So what we think is we create here a legal framework, which is there stable and, and sound, and we can adapt it via these lists with the high-risk use cases to new risks which will come up. And that will allow us only to focus on cases where we have already now identified risks. And so let me pull out some of your um, um, figures then. So total compliance costs of up to 400,000 euros for one high-risk AI product requiring a quality management system. Um, does that take SMEs out of the game? Because that is a lot of money for them to put up. Well, on the, the quality management system is certainly one of the most costly elements in, the, in this. We have said in the impact assessment that we expect that those companies who, uh, who are active in high-risk sectors Take, uh, uh, let's take practical devices, because you mentioned we are doing it for products. This is a product decision. But the advantage is we have decades of experience with product legislation. And some products are very um, sophisticated, like medical devices, where we use already quite very advanced software. Is it imaginable that you are an SME, and we know that there are very innovative SMEs in, in, medical, devi in medical devices that have no quality management system? I, I doubt this very much. So we believe that in most of these cases, of course, if you start this from the presumption that you need to set up from scratch a quality management system, then, yeah, you have significant costs. We nevertheless believe that in most cases when you are active in a high-risk area and you want to compete because your, your client, your user, will have to rely on the CE label they, because otherwise he may be liable. So he will look at whether the system has been certified. Will he buy from you if you cannot certify this? And the last point you, you may know, but this is, of course, the Council has discussed this as well, and there is now one of the things which the presidencies have introduced is an exception for micro-enterprises from quality management because exactly this was, was a debate we will see this is an ongoing process, which I cannot comment because the Commission didn't propose this, but you see there is a, a lot of attention to this in the legislative process to create this particular exception for quality management for micro-enterprises because, indeed, it is a substantive cost. Who would like to go first? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. About the, um, <coughs> the, 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 the possible things that we could do to um, um, facilitate uh, uh, SMEs. Uh, because uh, I, I do believe that uh, the AI Act uh, is uh, very well done. I mean, we are not criticizing the AI Act. And especially with the, the, the latest uh, compromise text from the uh, Czech Republic uh, presidency, it is, is, is very good in terms of, it, it is exhaustive, right, in terms of what it covers. However, there could be two things that, in my view, can be done. Uh, the first one is about uh, the, uh, the quality management system. So we could, uh, for instance, uh, differentiate from, uh, I mean, between uh, uh, SMEs 
that have uh, AI embedded in products and uh, they should follow a quality management system from uh, a, a SMEs that uh, don't have AI systems embedded in products. So they don't fall into the current legislations of conformity assessment. This would facilitate and lighten a lot for the other SMEs the process of certification. This is one thing. The other thing is the risk management system. I think that this is not, strictly speaking, necessary for SMEs. Because the third thing that can be done is to shift the most of the certification on testing activities. I mean, if SMEs could follow standards, right, and testing, and by that proving they are compliant, it is not necessary anymore to force them to follow specific processes. What, I, what I'm saying is the, uh, Euro the European Commission has to decide something about the standards anyhow, right? So if SME can be certified uh, with uh, the standards that will be approved by the European Commission, and then uh, the, uh, the, um, the notified bodies can just check with a strict uh, testing methodology what they want to put into service or in the market, you know, this could be enough for, for, for SMEs. This is a, a different approach uh, as opposed to forcing them to stick to the seven requirements in terms of internal processes. You know, the European Commission should say, uh, give me the proof you are compliant by following a methodology in terms of standard that I approve and testing uh, your applications this way. But Mr. Gross, does the European Commission want to do that? Well, um, <laughs> perhaps very interesting what you say, eh? and it's a, a very important debate. Perhaps two thoughts to make it a bit more complex. Uh, <laughs> One is we have, I'm very grateful that you mentioned the standards because this is a big advantage we have by taking this product-based approach because we work a lot with standards because we know that the requirements we put into the regulation can never be so granular that they're not going to be outdated in a couple of years. So we need to underpin this with standards and we know from our experience that standards are a very appreciated tool by industry because industry can adapt to standards and they can integrate it in, the, in their processes. There is a certain cost, of course, but once they are adapted and implemented, it's fine. And we work with the presumption. So we have in the regulation the idea that if you comply with the standard, you regularly can work with the presumption. We have this in the product legislation, <coughs> and we have as well foreseen this wider possibility so that uh, if there is a harmonized standard and you use that standard, you can rely on that standard. So that should, of course, already help a lot. The other thing is, how much shall we derogate from certain elements? This is, a, I find, intellectually a very, a very tricky question because it is, it is true what you say, that the burden is differentiated according to the size of the provider. Nevertheless, the risk the system displays is the same, whoever provides it. And if we want to make sure that the product provided or developed by the SME is as good and as sellable and as competitive as the product developed by a bigger provider, we must make sure that the level of 
of uh, accuracy, the level of robustness, that in, in short, the trustworthiness, yeah. is pretty much the same. Otherwise, it will not work. And therefore, I think, we, and I hope we will come to that, we have introduced a number of support measures. You mentioned that. I think that is then, for us, the tool how we can help the SMEs uh, to, to, to pass this, uh, this uh, to, uh, to comply with this challenge. Okay, so before we talk about the support measures, Sebastian, you wanted to make a comment. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to say something on this, because <laughs> what I hear is uh, essentially the traditional approach of legislation, which is the Commission issuing a, a, a directive, a regulation, and then essentially delegating to standardizers, okay, to set the exact technical rules, and then to the notified bodies, as, as, as Massimo was, was, was arguing, to essentially check the compliance with those standards. And there are a couple of things that don't work, in my opinion, in that approach, okay? Number one, when we talk about standards, we have to reflect a little bit, because standards meaning we are delegating the, the development of the rules to someone. And who is this someone? Who is this standardizers? Standardizers are essentially big corporations. Those who want to invest in the development of standards are the corporations. Of course, the process is open to everyone. Of course, the SMEs can participate, and we do actually help them to participate. But we are not at the level of being having the same weight on the table, okay? So who drafts the standards is the first problem. And the second problem is the notified bodies, right. okay? Because we cannot just assume, ah, we do a nice legislation, we think about all the possible issues that SMEs might have, if we are lucky, and then the notified bodies will take it and will interpret it. I'm sorry, if you are an SME, when you are in the market, the commission forgets about the enforcement because the commission doesn't do any enforcement. The enforcement is done by the policeman. And who is the policeman? This is the notified body. So if you are an SME, you don't understand the legislation, absolutely. The only person, the only institution who will tell you how to interpret the legislation is the notified body. If the, and the notified bodies, don't forget, it's an industry. It's a company that wants to make money. What does that mean? That they will likely, and I have seen that many, many times, interpret the legislation in a way which will end up with you paying more, doing more tests than necessary, doing more assessment than necessary. Why? Because obviously they are, uh, they, they are an industry, right? So that's why, and I go back to my previous point, I'm arguing that for this particular technology, for this particular uh, industrial need and societal need, we need a much bigger role by the Commission or by another body mandated by the law to oversee. Because otherwise we are going to wake up in 10 years' time and say it's too late. Okay, very strong words there. Um, yeah, you wanted to go ahead? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to come on quickly okay. on uh, this point. And then we'll... We'll let Dr. Miriam um, have her input as well, but, but please go yes, ahead. Yes, yeah. uh, just a short comment from my end. Um, yes, it's true that in standard setting bodies, normally the bigger companies um, are, are better represented. And that's why, um, in, in our opinion, we pushed forward towards having better representation for SMEs when it comes to standard setting procedures. I really believe this is important. It's uh, like addressing a bit the biases, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In a way, <laughs> the gender bias is not only in, in algorithms, yeah. but everywhere. If we need to address biases, if we need to address um, rules which are not taking on board the perception and perspective of everyone, especially the vulnerable ones in this case are SMEs who face also the higher cost, um, especially in the first years when there's... Uh, so you agree that SMEs are very vulnerable? 
I, I agree that they are vulnerable more than bigger companies. Of course, yeah. That's However, um, we shouldn't uh, also argue that uh, SMEs are just vulnerable or they, they face only handicaps, but we really need to see. It's good to take stock of the costs. It's good and important to take stock of the natural handicaps that mm -hmm. exist, but we need to see now how can we assist them to be at the forefront, because at the end of the day, our SMEs are the backbone, this is an overused clause and statement, but they are the backbone yeah. of our economy. And this we need to recognize and we need to continue working hard to see how to facilitate them for, the, for, for them. So maybe we cannot derogate in every circumstance, but, but where derogation is not possible, then how can we facilitate, how can we assist? And I really believe that one example is this um, st standard setting procedures involving our, our SMEs more. But then there are other aspects. For example, we pushed forward in, in our opinion an amendment relating to uh, when it comes to the establishment of regulatory sandboxes which the Commission envisaged, we pushed and emphasized the importance and priority access for SMEs because that also could be an area where we could help our SMEs to be at the forefront, to innovate, to have this safe space. Um, so there's a lot to do and we should continue discussing this, but for sure let's keep on working to recognize the difficulties, the costs, but how to turn these challenges into opportunities for our SMEs, however difficult it may be. <laughs> Indeed, and Dr. Miriam, what to, you wanted to interject as well. Right, yes, so the, the conversation moved a bit now towards you know, standard setting, which I agree you know, can really be a process of where capture and lobbying plays a big role in that. So that's you know, one aspect that's important for SMEs. I just also wanted to go back to you know, the actual compliance with the requirements. So I thought it was really interesting what Massimo was pointing out, you know, this difference between is the SME actually using AI in the end product or are they just using it in their production process or in their broader uh, you know, process? which really makes them a user and not a provider. So there you can already, I think, alleviate the burden for, you know, for a large part of SMEs if you there um, um, reduce the burden when they're just using it. Um, but the other thing that I was wondering about is, um, and Sebastiano might, might you know, be able to comment more on that, is that for sure there is a lot of experience of what burdens SMEs face in regulated sectors, right? And so aside from the areas such as law enforcement, which have been you know, appointed as new areas of, of high risk or sensitive areas where the AI Act applies, it also just applies to areas that are already regulated, such as medical devices and toys and machinery. And we have this kind of, you know, a lot of these obligations in place. And so also a lot of experience on where SMEs run into problems. Right, so I think it's interesting to sort of try and map what is now really so new and, and uh, what additional obligations does the AI Act impose for those kind of areas? Is it really that much more to what they already have to do? And if it is not, well, then maybe the problem is not as big. And if it is, then why do we think these additional steps are necessary for AI products and not for you know, any non-AI product in that particular sector? And they're really trying to learn from the experiences that we have to see how we can alleviate SMEs. I hope I can answer that question because, you know, um, she's saying, you know, let's look at the other sectors which are really regulated. Uh, how does it work there, right? And what I can say is the following. 
which is very interesting. I've been working with SMEs in many sectors uh, using the NLF, so this the same legislative approach. Typically, and there are even studies who have so shown this. Uh, typically, uh, the SMEs, especially the craft and the small producers, the small industrial producers, have a huge uh, negative impacts with the introduction of this type of legislative of legislation. Why? Because this legislation, the ex ante conformity, right? The ex ante compliance, of course, it gives you a lot of legal certainty, okay? But it creates a lot of new costs, which if you uh, have a very big scale of production, you can spread very well among you know, thousands and millions of products, and then you will not see the cost. But if you do a craft product, and in Europe, unfortunately, I'm afraid we, we have lost many craft producers because of this legislation. There are studies who show that in, in traditional sectors. Now, when we go to AI, we have to understand one thing, that we are talking, in most of the cases, about customized products. These are not uh, the same thing as a, I don't know, a digital platform which is one to many, many, many. This is a one-to-one -one product, okay? It's a B2B very often. And in this type of sector, uh, we have to understand that every time I do an AI for a particular purpose, for a particular situation, a contract, I will have to undergo these costs, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is the same thing that has happened in other sectors and for the smaller companies with negative, negative impacts. So the question is, what are we going to do to maintain the industry in Europe, if we still have some, uh, and to have even more in the future? Given that the legislative, the legislative uh, approach has been, has been this. This is why we, we are proposing uh, to... Uh, give more power to the European Digital Innovation Apps and the, the testing uh, and experimentation facilities to the point that uh, I think they could become a notified body. I mean, if most of the activities uh, can be outsourced to uh, uh, super partners entities, uh, such as the European Digital Innovation Apps and uh, the testing and experimentation facilities, you would overcome what you were saying before about the notified bodies. And on the other end, uh, the, uh, the SMEs could get this service for free, right? Uh, or almost for free. Mm. So it, it is a matter of uh, changing a bit the focus of the European Digital Innovation Hub, especially for uh, the things uh, uh, like uh, the, uh, the um, risk management uh, uh, system, uh, data governance, AI governance. And then uh, we should, or the European Commission should force them to work uh, hand in hand with the testing and experimentation facility for the last mile about the, the uh, testing thing that I was referring to earlier on. So this way, the, the burden on SMEs would be pretty low, right? And uh, a byproduct of that uh, is that SMEs would be forced to work more structurally. And I mean, they can get benefits out of the implementation of this regulation because it is a good thing if they adopt, for instance, standards that would allow them to work more productively, right? And develop software that is uh, with uh, uh, higher quality. This is the third thing. 
And secondly, they would be certain about the independence of the notified body. So what you said before is absolutely right. So a notified body that has a sort of a conflict of interest, you know, of course, for SMEs in particular can be a burden because they would be asking for more things than necessary. But then if you put in charge do uh, two European institutions, uh, two European constructs uh, that doesn't, don't have a, such a conflict of interest, uh, you know, for them this would be absolutely more, more uh, trustable. Okay, Mr. Gross, um, would you like to reply to that? And also, I know that you also wanted to talk about the European um, Digital Innovation Hubs. So what support do they also provide to SMEs? Yes, of course. And do they you know, answer any of these problems and questions that you're hearing from other panellists, of course? Absolutely. I mean, just one sentence on your last remark. We, had, uh, um, we have in particular foreseen for Annex 3, except for biometrics, for this reason, self-assessment, because that would, of course, bring down the verification costs. We see now uh, the, the Council has so far supported this line. We see there's a lot of discussion in the European Parliament, what will happen there. We will see what is the outcome. But we see there, indeed, that it could be, for instance, one way uh, to agree, not to decrease the compliance cost, because they would say the same, you need to comply, but that could decrease at least the verification costs, in particular for those who are not used, because the other ones, the embedded AI, they go to the uh, notified body anyway, so they would just add the AI part, yeah. whereas the self-standing AI, that was our reflection, would need to go just for the AI, to, it would be more expensive. Now, we see, um, we have mentioned in the regulation at two times the innovation hubs and the testing and facilities in the, in the recitals because we think they have a crucial part. We want to have a network of European digital innovation hubs that were now under the, um, we call them now European digital innovation hubs under the Digital Europe program and we want to have at least one specialized in AI in each member state and it should be kind of a focus point where SMEs can come, they would get access to finance, access to technology but as well regulatory oversight. And what we would really like to see is an ecosystem developed where these hubs work together then in the future with the regulatory sandboxes. So the sandboxes under the surveillance supervision of the national competent authorities would help to overcome the regulatory side. So they would have kind of a protected area where they could develop their system. And they would avoid, in particular, mistakes which could become costly later on so that they, when they start to develop the system, they think already about data quality and the, in the sandbox that could be an opportunity for them to avoid unnecessary costs because they could from the start develop it in a way which is compliant and that should work together with the innovation hubs and we see as well quite a low role for the uh, testing experimentation facilities because they could really provide testing places because what we need to have is in that the real cost if you speak about this in our view are in particular the cost of data because you need really good data sets and unbiased data sets representative data sets and here i think we need to create this ecosystem where we take the example of health we have a european health data space so if we then can provide good health data sets that could be i think a really very practical element to help and if then the testing experimentation facilities would allow high quality testing with these kind of data sets that could really be uh, helps the, the, the quality, but help as well the regulatory compliance. The council went even a bit further. They want to see a union testing facility that is more on the side of the uh, monitoring from the member states, but as well, I think, an interesting idea to set up this on a union level so that we bring in that expertise. But I think the, the, the really important thing is that we put these different elements, the hubs, the TEFs, the, the sandboxes together to create really a vibrant ecosystem. Okay, great. Um, we're now um, quite aware that we are 
We've got about 15 minutes left, so I'll start running through some of the questions um, from our audience, if that's okay. Um, MEP Katal, I'll come to you first, because this one's about um, someone asking about MEPs. So uh, Camille says, in October, MEPs filed a complaint about shadow lobbying during the DSA DMA by big tech through smaller front organizations, often funded by big tech, claiming to represent SMEs. Have we seen a similar dynamic of shadow lobbying in the AI Act? Are there sufficient safeguards to prevent this? As I said, uh, speaking about the opinion specifically, we made sure to insert several um, references to SMEs. So as the Commission was referring in several uh, provisions to small-scale providers, we expanded that towards SMEs. There's a lot to be done and we have to see the extent to which now the parliamentary position will reflect um, SME consideration. Um, but definitely there are points that we need to look at. And I wanted also to bring into the discussion other aspects. For example, and when it comes to the conformity assessment, um, the Commission proposal already envisages that there should be um, the proportionate uh, manner as, as, um, approach according to size. And we added the particular attention to SMEs keeping compliance costs for them at reasonable le level because we know also after speaking and consulting with industry that this is also an issue. So there are, there will be safeguards in place for sure. And uh, yes, it's important that we keep in this constant consultation um, to, to review in this regard. And then for example, even um, technical documentation required in order to, to demonstrate that the high uh, risk AI system complies with the act over there. Uh, we also introduced an amendment stating that SMEs should be allowed to present equivalent documentation meeting the same objective. So it's here um, where um, we can help our SMEs. We know that the big tech companies, uh, whether um, we're speaking in one legislative framework or another, have um, some, some advantage within this uh, internal market. And that's why as the European Union, we're introducing several uh, legislation where we're seeking a level playing field. A level playing field whilst also keeping in mind what you said at the beginning, the EU values, uh, safety, and other aspects. I wanted to mention an, another aspect. There was, a, if I'm not mistaken, Maria mentioned the sectoral legislation, which has already um, uh, uh, went into certain aspects of safety. So we are aware that there is uh, this legislation in place. This is, this is a horizontal approach legislation. But for example, in the opinion, we did emphasize the need to overlap uh, with sectoral, when it comes to sectoral legislation. Uh, we know that, for example, the transport field is one of, of the, it's quite old now and yeah. regulated. And in that regard, it doesn't mean that we discard the sectoral legislation. We need, obviously, as legislators to make sure that we avoid double regulation. So that's very much important. As I really believe it's also important, we don't live in a vacuum as the European Union. So we need to look at also international uh, standards, which are already in place, seek to align as much as possible where we are at the forefront and more ambitious seek to also influence in that regard. Um, these are aspects to keep in mind and I look forward to the discussion together. There's a lot to, to do and to discuss, but for sure it's great that we're having this discussion and from all of our backgrounds, we're contributing 
to this um, new legislation, which is uh, quite ambitious. Uh, it's taking some risks, but that's why we're here as politicians, because course, yeah. we cannot be uh, at the forefront if we don't take risks and if we don't address the risks. Maybe yep. I can go back to that question, asking about uh, so-called astroturfing, right? Uh, right SME, yeah. fake SME representation mm. at the parliament. Uh, we have, as a genuine SME association, we have been monitoring these type of practices a lot and, you know, uh, alerting the MEPs and the policy makers when this happens. There was at least one case, because this is the question, mm -hmm. of course we did happen a lot in the MA and the SA, but there was at least one case which I've seen personally in the AI Act. There was a letter very recently, a letter written by the lawyers of Big Tech, which has gone out to a number of SME organizations asking for signatures, and the letter was about the so-called general purpose AI applications, uh, asking an exemption, uh, an exclusion of these applications uh, from, from the AI Act, arguing that this will be convenient for the SMEs. And we have told our members and our partners don't sign this letter because this letter was written by the lawyers of big tech asking, saying that this is for you, this is for the SMEs, but this is only convenient for the big tech. Right. So this is a good example, perhaps. In particular, as the regulation as it stands foresees an exception from the general purpose AI uh, obligations for SMEs. Yeah. So that would have been <laughs> quite contradictory, yes. Okay, we also have another question from Rai Wright. Um, he says, it's a question for Kilian and Massimo. When calculating compliance costs, did you assume SMEs were designing compliance into their products from the beginning or that they would have to go back and modify what they have already developed to bring it into compliance? So the, <coughs> the idea would be, I mean, we will have, of course, a transitional period, so the uh, operators will know when, when the requirements will come into place so that the development is not retro and we will not apply the regulation retroactively. So you will know in advance uh, that in the future from when on you need to comply. And so we expect that the, the, compli the uh, compliance management will start with the de project mm -hmm. development. That's the first expectation because otherwise you would have uh, additional costs. And then we, of course, we think there will as well be efficiency gains over time because you will learn how to handle the requirements. So we think there is a cost decrease over time. So you will have higher compliance costs probably in the beginning, but the, then the, the, the second and third AI system you do, which you develop, you will have then decreased compliance costs. Yeah, no, no, it, it, this is what is in the AI Act, uh, especially in the latest version. However, I, I find it a bit uh, contradictory in the sense that I'm absolutely with you about the, uh, the additional cost, especially for SMEs. But this would be, would create, uh, at least this is my view, a pretty confusing environment where part of the AI applications are not compliant, but still functioning. And then uh, to get to the new ones, you'll be waiting at least for years, right? So I can be, I can have uh, a situation where a company, respectively, if uh, big or small, as a pretty significant uh, stock of AI applications out there in the market that maybe are not compliant. And these applications, uh, at least based on the current uh, exemption, we, you know, could last forever because uh, you are not uh, correctly applying retrospectively the, uh, the regulation. And then uh, simultaneously, you'll have uh, 
much smaller uh, high risk applications uh, that uh, need to be compliant with the seven requirements. So in my view, this is a bit uh, confusing and uncertain uh, kind of situation. Okay, we also have another question for you, Massimo. Um, Alessio says, are there additional compliance costs for companies, including SMEs, based outside of Europe? <laughs> well, it, it's difficult, difficult to, to give a, a precise answer. I think that the, uh, the uh, compliance costs that were considered in the uh, impact assessment uh, are uh, basically the ones that uh, SMEs uh, uh, will have to afford. The only one that is not included because uh, the, uh, the study was referring, uh, uh, was published before the I Act. So the only one that is not there is the risk management system. So in case uh, what uh, we need to add to that model is only the risk management system that, uh, that was not there. But I don't see or I don't expect uh, any other additional cost. The, 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 the kind of requirements are, you know, can cover almost anything. Uh, Dr. Miriam, would you like to comment on anything you've heard um, from, the, from the panelists and, 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 and what they've spoken about? Well, just briefly, just conferring with what Josiane was saying before, right? We talk a lot about the, the you know, the costs and the impact on innovation, which is important, and at the same time, um, being among the first to regulate this important technology is also really an opportunity to shape the technology and to shape uh, the boundaries of what we think you know should be done with the technology where the applications are such high risk or so uh, problematic that we, we would just want to uh, put boundaries and I think that's really an opportunity to use right now and to keep um, having to evaluate in the in the years to come if it really fits for the market. Um, um, but that, I think, uh, is, is something to really keep in mind that, as with the GDPR, we're really uh, here shaping how AI will come to affect our market and our technologies and products that are out there. Indeed we are. Okay, well, I'm, I think we've got about five minutes left, so panelists, final statements. Um, Mr. Gross, you can kick us off. Final thoughts and reflections or key takeaway. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Well, perhaps just to come back to this idea that the, um, uh, the systems in the market can stay there, but this is based on our thinking that normally AI is very fast moving, so you will have adaptations rather soon, substantial modifications, so that you will not see it's like, not like an old car which can then drive for the next 10 years. And on the other hand, if you have to undergo a conformity assessment retroactively, it may require from you practically to redevelop the system because you may not have the data anymore. I think the debate today was, was great. It's, it's really important that, uh, um, that we look at this, uh, at the issue, uh, and the balance between regulation and innovation. And we need to look, of course, in particular on, an, on startups because we, perhaps one element which we have not stressed so much is that uh, we always look here a bit about the disadvantage, you mentioned that, about the handicaps of SMEs. But we should not forget that they are the innovation drivers. So we have, it's not only that we want to help them because we think uh, they are important and they're the backbone of our society, but they are in most cases the startups which really bring the new ideas. So this is, uh, 
If we want to have this innovation in particular for such a fast-moving, future-oriented technology, we need to get the balance right. And I think we heard today a number of ideas. And I think in the end, we will have to find a good mix between uh, an adaptation of the regulatory um, framework for them and a good package of support measures which will help them to be fully compliant. Thank you. I think that as uh, a concluding statement, I wanted to um, emphasize a bit too that let's see and let's keep in mind that SMEs are, are not uniform and therefore it's important to look at the less innovative SMEs to help them innovate more. There are SMEs who have already um, started innovating in the AI field, those we need to assist to make sure that the costs and handicaps they inherently face, we can assist them to um, be on the same uh, level playing field when it comes to innovation. But let's see how to help also those SMEs who have not maybe seen the potential when it comes to innovation and investing in the digital AI field. And that's a very important aspect. I really believe that uh, we could really help our SMEs when it comes to advice so it's not only about uh, mitigation of costs also relates to for example um, helping them understand um, the financing options the EU funds that are there are available at EU level to tap into when it comes to digitalization and innovation in AI. And that's also an, another important aspect because normally SMEs may um, be disheartened by um, uh, the, the different schemes and navigating through them. So having advisors deployed at the local level through our innovation hubs, through our European enterprise networks, through um, other um, national in, in initiatives, that could really help them. That and when it comes to helping them develop the adequate skills, because skills are really important. It's not only the physical infrastructure, but the skills. And when we speak of skills, it's from basic uh, skills to more advanced skills if we really need to be at the forefront as a European Union. Very good advice there, Sebastiano. For me, uh, I think what really our SMEs would want uh, at this point is to hear that, that there is a partnership with. Uh, the Commission and the legislator uh, at EU level. Uh, and not just uh, the Commission or the Parliament dropping this legislation and then moving to the next file. This is not what we want. We want a partnership, we want a collaboration in the mid-long term to really uh, develop the understanding of the market and to really check and monitor what is happening and adapt to the legislative approach to make sure that we have a competitive industry in place. We haven't spoken, for instance, today about the issue of versioning. Every software and every AI has different versions. Mm -hmm. You know it from your, your, your phone. Constantly the apps have to go through new versions. What will happen every time you have a new version, imagine you have to pay again the conformity assessment. Yeah. This is an issue that hasn't been considered. I know there is an amendment which is which has been tabled, but even the amendment will not solve the problem. So really, there are so many issues which are new and specific to this piece of legislation, which justify having a different approach that really will take the market hand in hand in a partnership to, to become a more competitive continent, also in AI. Really good ideas there. Dr. Miriam. Yeah, so just building on what's been said, 
you know, often once a legislation has been finalized and adopted, then the approach is, well, we're implementing now and we can sit back and, and let this be for a while. And I think that's really not the case in this area because it's not just a fast moving target, but it's also open ended. This is a general purpose technology and many of the wonderful applications we probably don't even know about yet. So it's not just about getting companies and especially SMEs to in, to innovate and invest, but also to really allow for new applications and new ideas using these technologies. And so that means, I think, also a lot of in continued involvement of the legislator to keep on top of changed needs or uh, uh, changed applications and really keep this up to date to allow companies to continue to innovate in Europe. Thank you so much, Ivani Massimo. Yeah, I, I think that a key, a key role uh, will be played by the, um, the delegated acts that uh, the EC will, uh, will have to uh, publish because uh, uh, certain areas, uh, and uh, the one that you have just mentioned, probably can be uh, one that uh, will fall into the delegated, the delegated acts, uh, some areas need some uh, clarification. So I, get, I, I go back to what I, uh, I said earlier on. The structure is very good indeed. So there are things that will be clarified afterwards. And uh, because of that, we still have time to work on uh, the cost of compliance for SMEs. So the way the, 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 the approach established in the AI Act will be implemented is really cru crucial. The details are very important, of course. So once the general principles have been established, you know, concretely, pragmatically, how they will be implemented, how the notified body will be, uh, will be chosen, how the, the uh, standards uh, will be adopted. So there are a number of things that are currently delegated that are absolutely important and will change or could change dramatically the impact for, uh, in general for uh, the uh, AI Act adoption and in particular for SMEs. Okay, thank you so much. Well, thank you to all the panelists and thank you also to Dr. Miriam who has joined us remotely and thank you to everyone in the audience and everyone who has been watching online. We hope that you've enjoyed this Euractive Hybrid Conference supported by Intellera Consulting. I'm Miriam Zaidi. Take care and bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, guys.